I'm Christine Russo, and you're listening to What Just Happened on MarketScale. Today, we welcome Arnie Cohen, CEO of Jay Peterman. Welcome, Arnie. Always love to be back in touch with Jay Crew alum. It's, it's a momentous week. You may have seen that they just celebrated the 40th anniversary during Fashion Week. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, thinking back to the roll neck and barn jacket days, it's it, it warms my heart. I use those experiences all the time. You know, at, at this stage in my career, part of my assignment is mentor. And it's it, the same as people mentored me and helped me build my career. Now it's my obligation to mentor somebody else to help them build their career. And I talk often about how we built that J. Crew business and the radical departure we took in in catalog and direct marketing and and Arthur's brilliance and willing to push the boundary and test and tweak. You're you're such the catalog guy. That was like a huge catalog. Well, I I own territory ahead in Jay Peterman today. Yeah, I know. We're going to get into that. I'm calling it you're the catalog king at this point. Let's go through what your your portfolio of catalogs are. And I noticed that they're back. So they've sort of come full circle. Where do you stand on that? Well, I, th- I think there's been a recognition that there really is a 360 ecosystem. The, the reality is that you, you have to be able to dynamically impart your brand message and your product offering to customers where, when, and how they like it and want it. And as part of that, is still, you know, the ability for a customer to pick up something when they're sitting on a couch and thumb through it and be able to dog ear it and be able to go back to it. And the model still proves true. You know, 50, 60 years later, you can track when a customer gets a book. You can track when they go back to an old book because they've been reminded of something they liked a month ago, but they forgot about and they want to go see it again. And you can, you can, watch their purchase as a direct result of dropping the book in. So there are people who've been floating around catalogs and have used them as big marketing vehicles, like a restoration hardware that sends out these mammoth books on a continual basis. But that mammoth book drives a very high ticket. It's it's a higher ticket than an Apple ticket in that you're buying, you're buying a sofa spending six to $12,000. You're buying a dining room set you're spending $15,000. So you don't need a lot of activity to make that pay for itself. But what you're now starting to see is the people who started in stores and may have gone digital, or the people who are just digital, who've, st- who've now opened stores, have recognized that being able to hit the customer in the mail and give them something that they can hold on to that has a shelf life, let's say two, four, maybe six weeks, is of value and actually has a return. So you're now starting to see those nascent brands start to embrace catalog. Of course, there are all sorts of expenses associated with it and paper and print and postage, which is a huge component of dropping a catalog, have continued to escalate in cost, but so has digital. As digital, as digital has become more prevalent as more people are in, as, as all these optimization technologies evolve, and as keywords get more expensive, digital is no longer the panacea that it was when we all thought about it as a free medium or email was free. That's not the way digital works nowadays. So catalogs has 
correctly seen a resurgence. And sure enough, you're seeing brands that had never been in the catalog business now dropping them and brands of all sizes, small and large. So what you're saying is the newbies are adding catalog to the mix and also catalog born brands. And we shared a background at J Crew, which was a catalog born brand and Correct. reached high, high heights. And so catalog board brands, J Crew is one, J Peterman is one, and you're a CEO of J Peterman now. Correct. So they have held on to it or brought it back to a degree. So is it a, a resurgent back resurgence back to it for the native catalog brands that you're seeing? I think I think the native catalog brands probably never disappeared. They may have tempered their approach as they learned about brick and mortar retail or as they migrated to digital. I think what you're seeing is they're putting more emphasis on it now because it gives a more tactile experience to the consumer and everything now is about experience. So you're seeing them go to that for that reason. And you're also seeing them go to that because the, the cost of retail is extreme. Rent, utilities, payroll is through the roof. Hard to make that model work the way it did maybe 10 years ago. Still doable, but hard. And digital is expensive. So now they're all sort of on an even playing field. So if you have an opportunity to hit a customer on a mobile phone, and depending on the brand, 60% of the revenue, 70% of the revenue might be generated by mobile. And that could be either a mobile phone or a tablet, right? But that's becoming expensive. And that is momentary. That experience you have is while you're shopping, when you put it in the cart, and when you press accept or place order. But then it's gone. The catalog is there at five o'clock. It's there at nine o'clock. It's there tomorrow morning at seven o'clock. It's there when your guests come. It's there to share as you dog-eared and put it together. It's almost like crafting to some extent. And I think brands are embracing that as, as part of the experience. So let's talk about Jay Peterman specifically. So, I mean, talk about a classic catalog and yep. then also, you know, brought to sitcom land through, through Seinfeld. Right. Which I never thought did it justice, actually. I don't know where you stand on that. It did, you know, it 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 didn't help, it didn't hurt. It's 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 brought awareness now and then when you say Peterman, they say, Oh yes, I remember, or something like that. Every now and then somebody will ask about the puffy shirt or something of that nature. It didn't really it didn't it didn't really generate revenue per se. It didn't translate. It just helped with the awareness. Sure. But it was huge. I mean, it didn't need Seinfeld, actually. It's it's never been a very large business. It's got a larger voice than the actual revenue. And the reason for that is it's it's a very eclectic business. This is a business that is based on romance, on on aspiration, and it's not a classification business. It's a curated collection business. Everything that we put in there has a story, it ties to some vintage time period, and they're found items. So you, it, the business never really has the opportunity and get up and run, like for example, a J. Crew that can build a huge business in t-shirts, a huge business in polos, a huge business in women's 
dresses or women's sweaters. Those are classifications. And for us, the, the curated nature of the product is so varied. Our opening price point is probably somewhere around $50, $48, probably for either a small accessory or an inexpensive knit. And yet we sell leather and $1,800 teddy coats and things like that to the same velocity because it's curated. Hard to find, very unusual, very unique. If it fits that criteria, you're not going to sell lots of them. You raise a really good point there. You have a good problem in that your brand presence is actually bigger than what the actual sort of model is, which leaves you a lot of room to grow. But usually it's the reverse. There's sort of that challenge of raising a brand's awareness and getting that story told. I would think today, and, and I want to actually get to my question in a roundabout way is, the question is going to be, when you wake up in the morning, are you like, okay, it's going to be a catalog focused day. It's going to be digital. And where do you stand on social? And here's what I want to add to that. What Jay Peterman has today is actually very now. <laughs> it's very modern. It's very now in that the social media, let's take TikTok, where it's like, I don't want to be like everyone else. I'm a tra travel vlogger. Right. I do my thing and here's my journey. And so they're kind of like the modern day Jay Petermans in the sense of that mythical person who was like, I went on the Orient Express and the man left his briefcase on the chair. Right. Now it's mine and I'm offering it to you. Right. You have an amazing opportunity to really embrace that. I, I, I agree with you. We have, we have not done a good job on that and it is, it is a leverageable opportunity for us. I would say, as it's been for many people, the last three plus years have been traumatic. You know, we we walked into COVID and as that hit, we basically stopped mailing catalogs because everybody was trying to figure out whether the world ended. We started mailing catalogs again and then, you know, supply chain issues created huge problems for us. Ex expense to air freight, back orders, having to ship overnight to customers to make sure they got their goods on time, trying to process returns, keeping staff healthy. It's, it's been a challenge, it's, it, as it is for everybody. I'm not complaining. I'm saying this is the environment. When people talk frankly, this is what we're all dealing with. And in the last, in the last two years, the cost of postage print paper, like many other things that have been caught up in inflationary pressures, has grown somewhere in the vicinity 16, 19% in cost. So we see a real opportunity to do that, but we we haven't had the bandwidth and ability really to take advantage of it. It's It's definitely on our radar. We've been really focused the last three years. We've, we've sort of taken advantage, I'm going to say, because we had to. We've taken advantage of, of the turmoil in the industry really to solidify our back end, which is our warehouse, our systems, customer service, things like that. We've made huge progress. And also we, we acquired another brand, which we put into the fold, and we expect to add additional brands going forward. So... We're really building a we're building a model of a volume model of of 
unique brands with a shared backend platform. All right. Well, actually, that's why we're here. We're, we're actually here to talk about that operational component. So it's great that you made that segue, particularly the announcement that Jay Peterman added cart.com to the tech stack. Yeah. So what was that process like for you? How did you end up there? Did you RFP? Like, walk me through some of yeah. the, the journey. Well, let's talk about how we got there first. So we, we, we have a, we have headquarters is in Blue Ash, Ohio, which is just north, a suburb just north of Cincinnati. Been there for about 10 plus years. Had a core team in the warehouse, an older warehouse, but, but very cost effective warehouse. But we saw through COVID and coming out of COVID, there were a couple of challenges. One of the challenges was labor. So, you know, if four years ago, our hourly was something like 1250, our hourly today was in excess of 16 and rising. And even with that, we were having trouble, you know, uh, finding um, warehouse support for the increases in volume. So we saw that number one as an issue. Number two, while we were working hard and everybody was very diligent, we knew that systemically we were we were not current. We weren't using wave technology. We weren't managing picks the most efficient way. Systemically, we were counting inventory too often. There were a lot of there were a lot of issues that that were difficult in terms of cost, but also in terms of the the cost to customer service to our ability you know, for us to give the customer the best experience. So the first thing we did is we decided to go out and look at 3PLs. We, we clearly didn't want to leave our facility. We have merchandise team there, a systems team, a marketing team there. We have a headquarters operation there. So, and it was right next door. And there were obvious benefits to being able to go literally out the door and walk through the warehouse and see the goods and see what's flying and all that stuff. But we had to be practical. So we did go out and we looked at 3PLs, which were probably cost, and, and, and when I'll say cost effective, not hugely cost effective because you're paying a premium for staff, you're pay, they're paying a higher rent, they've got more of a systems expense, all those things, but cost effective. But then became the issue, you know, we had to confront the issue. What does the transition look like? What does it cost? How long does it take? What do you, when do you move the goods? Can you hold on to your labor while you're moving? What does that do to the customer service? When's the optimum time to do it? There are a lot of things to consider. We, we put out an RFP. We probably, we probably narrowed it down to five or six viable candidates. We went and we visited them and each one had strengths and weaknesses and those related to their warehouse, to automation, to their systems, to their location, to how easy it was to get there, to how much information we could share, the visibility of, of the organization to get in the warehouse and see goods, all those things. And I would say we got down to probably three that, that were really the finalists. And then we, were, we, we struggled. We struggled. Can we can we leave our warehouse? Does it make sense? Where do we put our headquarters if we move our warehouse? What's going to happen 
to customer interruption and moving product. I mean, there are a lot of issues there. And to their credit, as we shared with them, CART came back and said, we understand your dilemma. Um, we're going we're gonna to offer you a hybrid to what we usually do, but we think what could be a win for you and could be a win for us. And so this is the first time that cart.com has taken somebody else's existing warehouse, but and, and we still pay the rent and we still own the, the space and we're still there. But what they've done is they've impregnated our warehouse with their systems, with their processes, and they've actually taken over the payroll of the warehouse. That team now works for them. And what that created for us was a win-win. For, for, for everybody, it works. For them, they get us as the customer. We're now a paying client, their revenue is growing. For us, we, we maintain the familiarity of our warehouse. We have the ability to see the goods. We've got their systems, which you know they're, they're moving $10 billion a year in product. So their jazz software is fantastic. We've got their systems in place. We're using their technology, which meant I didn't have a huge capital outlay up front. I didn't go through a year development process to make that software work for me because I was able to literally take their package software and put it right into the warehouse. We did the transition in under five months. What a story. I mean, there's... Speechless. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. They had a go live date of September one, and they went live August twenty ninth or thirtieth. On on time, un under budget, with amazing results. So, you know, I'm I'm a right brain, left brain, right. So, I'm a merchant, marketeer, product all those things. But I'm also fascinated with the business of business and, and, and understanding those processes and the metrics and the performance and like everybody who's competitive, trying to figure it out. We are now, and my VP of ops is still, so, he's crying, he's so excited. We are, we are processing 12 to 1500 orders a day with a staff that is 30 to 40% less, less than last year in a single shift, whereas a year ago with that increased staff, it would probably take us a shift and a half, maybe two. What, what's driving that? What's driving the efficiency? Well, I, I think it's their jazz system. I think it's, I think it's their system and their processes. So, you know, they're, they're using what, what many large direct-to-consumer or logistics company use, but very few small ones can afford. They're on tablet with infrared barcode readers. They have, they've, they've mapped the whole warehouse in 3D technology. The wave technology gives the optimum path for a picker to go out. A picker is no longer picking one order or two orders at a time. They're picking 25 orders at a time. On the super tote, they're picking a hundred orders and they are running and it is literally foolproof. They are running down the aisle and it's saying, go to the left, go to the right, go four feet down, pick here, pick there. 
And, and then they show up at the end of the pick line with either 25 or 100 orders that are already in the system. And, and the picker, the packer is simply scanning the, the code on the tote, or if it's a single item order, the single item, and magic happens. It's telling them what box to use. It's already figured out the weights. It's already figured out the ship fee. It's getting packed, labeled, and out the door. It's just incredibly efficient. Well, that's I kudos to them for doing that hybrid coming in because the there are a lot of people in the industry in my position going like, why don't retailers modernize? Why don't they do this? Why do they? Because it's it's painful. Well, it's, it's painful, hard. It's painful. It's expensive and it's time consuming. So on a, on a pain point point of view, to modernize uh, a warehouse and put that kind of technology in and everything like that, you know, you're 700,000, a million dollars. And if you're really big, it's multiple millions. The process, if you're doing it on your own, is probably a year, no matter what anybody tells you. And you run the risk of disruption. As you're as you're trying to get there, so it's it's hard. And if you're a small business, you know it's 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 hard to it's hard to take what precious capital you have and deploy it in that, and wonder how many people you're going to have to use on it, what the pain points are, what the development is, who's going to manage the project. It's difficult. These these guys, I I have to be honest. These guys, they were they really thought. It, you know, to use it, an often overused phrase, they thought outside the box. They came with a creative proposition, caught us off guard on it. We spent probably with them a month sort of really going through it and really understanding it and really making sure that what we needed and what they could deliver really married and that we could actually get it done. But I couldn't be more enthusiastic. And I've shared with them, I think, I think this is a template model for a growth sector for them. It's great that they have these big facilities. It's great that they can take in brands that want to go in there. But there are there are lots of businesses out there that need that oomph to get that efficiency, to get that modernity, to improve the relationship with the customer who don't have the wherewithal. And, and if they can marry it, there's a whole new growth sector available. It's a creative to them. My purpose is just to really make sure people know all the solutions that are out there. And like I said, the industry is mostly bashing retailers for not moving quicker, but the you really have to understand what is involved fully. You know, Christine, all this is hard. We're in an industry where the, the application of disposable income to apparel and accessories is being driven down by the economy, fears, inflation, things like that. Margins are tighter as the cost of doing business is going up, whether it be in catalog business, whether it be in store with payroll, whether it be in logistics and shipping and returns and all this other stuff. It's, it's hard to take big chunks of money and invest in something at this point in time when you're just trying to hold on to that customer and drive your revenue. It it's hard. Tough. So yeah, so you, you have to think of it this way when you're exploring. You have to think about what can, what can I do to drive down my costs and improve my service levels. I need both. 
I can't just drive down my cost. I need to I need to do something that will drive down my cost, but also enhance my service level. And you have to be you have to be willing to explore all options out there. There are retailers out there that are just like we tried that not on our roadmap. You know, there's like a little bit of a closed mindedness and only because the game of whack-a-mole is always taking the attention away. It's always it's very hard to have an 18 month outlook in retail of any kind when you're literally trying to operate in a six week period, which is right. always it's right. raining. It's hot. Sweaters are here. It's not selling. Oh, my gosh. There's a flood. There's a hurricane. It's like insane. It's insane. There's, there's a war in Ukraine. There's a question about inflation, recession, stagnation. There's COVID. COVID's coming back. The, the, there is uh, there is trauma. There is uh, climate change. I mean, right. You know, it, is, it is it is never ending. Right in a discretionary place, it's very hard. There's really we're in this cycle. I don't know how we got here, but there's very few. Just like oh, things are great. I think I'll go shopping. There 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 are, there, there are people like that. And there are retailers that are impervious to the macro conditions around them. I haven't been fortunate to be in those cases, in, in those instances or experiences. Yeah, well, this is where it turns into a therapy session and we look right. at our life's choices. Right. I really want to thank you. This was such an honor. It's great to reconnect. This has been a wonderful conversation. It was good catching up before. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for inviting me.